All right, now we got to do an intro. Okay. Intro for part two. For part two, because I am going to split these up. Otherwise, it's like three and a half, four hours long. Yeah, that's too long. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, um, welcome back to Nerdscape part two of Final Fantasy, specifically this week, um, or this, this part, um, spoiler talk about Final Fantasy 7, 10, and 15. I am Ralma. I am Fen. And I am Jackson. Our returning guest from last episode to discuss all things Final Fantasy. So let's get into it. I guess we should uh, get back into it then. Yes, agreed. Okay. Are we going to go through these chronologically? Sure. Well, um, how about we do? I know there wasn't a whole lot of discussion as to how okay. exactly we wanted to talk about each game, but if it's okay with everybody, I'd like to just give just generalized, you know, opinions on the games. Okay. Maybe Maybe um, how you felt about the story and the characters, and then we'll compare and contrast. Yeah, sounds and, good. And then deep dive fifteen. And then deep dive fifteen because that's like, yeah. Fen and I almost had this really in-depth discussion over Facebook Messenger like a week ago, and I was like, if yeah. we do this now, we're not going to have anything to talk about it on the podcast, and I really want to yeah. get into it on the podcast. So. Yes, because I have I have thoughts. I have thoughts too, and I, I I feel fairly confident that I'm going to be able to convince you. Okay. <laughs> I have no context. This is fun. I, I think I think we we disagree on on. We disagree. We disagree on the the alternate ending, basically, to yeah. put it into um. General, non-contextual, terms. He yeah, he okay. doesn't he doesn't like we'll, we'll he doesn't like the, the alternate ending. That's fine. We'll we'll get to that point. Yeah, we'll get to that. It, you know. Okay. On that note, as a reminder, this is going to be very spoiler heavy. Like we're not holding back on this at all. So if you have not finished Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy X, or Final Fantasy XV, and you care about spoilers, this is probably not a good thing to listen to right now. Ooh, I just remembered that I've got a rant. When we Ten. <laughs> it's it's no, it's it's good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's uh, let's start with seven then. Yeah, let's so start with I'm seven. Go ahead. Uh, if everyone's okay with, it, I want to go ahead and let Rama talk about seven first. Okay. Considering it was my first introduction to Final Fantasy as as a series. 
Two two reasons. One is is that's that's my primary reason, and my secondary reason is that I know that it's your favorite collection of games in the Final Fantasy series. Final Fantasy Seven specifically. No, Seven. Oh. Children, Crisis Core. Okay, yeah. To be to be fair, yes, it's my favorite story, like overall as a whole. Final Fantasy VII, like, on its own, not so much, but with all of the other, um, like, peripheral content that's come out for it, yes, Final Fantasy VII is probably still my favorite overall story. Um, I feel like there's a lot of really intricate lore and detail and everything put into how everything fits together, especially when you take into context, um, like, Crisis Core and um, Dirge of Cerberus and Advent Children and all of that just really tied it all together very, very well. As a game, it's really clunky in places. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This is true. This is true. Like, it blows my mind, especially, like, hearing everybody complain about the problems with 15. And, look, 15 has problems. I get it. I really do. Like, it has a lot of problems. It has flaws. But all of the problems that 15 has are problems that either 7 or 8 also had. And I don't understand why those two games get such a pass. Would you mind going into that a little bit more? See if I can remember, because it's like one of those things that I noticed like months ago, and then that's the feeling that has kind of pervaded, and I don't actually remember the details. Um, I think a lot I know, of it. I know, I know all the story around the, the the seven games, but I haven't actually finished seven. I got through the first disc to um, the the death of Aerith, and that's kind of where I left off. Um, but yeah, no, the the game has not aged well at all. Well, I think a lot of it was like people complaining about Luna and how she was treated and all of that, and it's like Aerith kind of got the same short stick. Yeah. Like Absolutely. she's not, she's really not much of a character. No. She really isn't. A lot of her characterization comes from Crisis Core, and I don't think a lot of people understand that, because right. a lot of people that really love Seven played Crisis Core. Crisis Core was that game that you either loved or you didn't play it. Right. Like yeah. it's not even like a you loved it or you hated it. It was if you if you were gonna hate it, you just didn't play it anyway. Well, Aerith as a character, um, I think two there were two issues with her character in Seven, um, which is that, well, she was immediately tied up into a love triangle, basically. And the thing, the ironic part of that is that she wasn't in the triangle. She knew it was it was the gamers who who were given the option of handling a love triangle, um, because her whole thing was that she recognized Zach in cloud right and she recognized what he was emulating because um so she she responded to that but she never directly like encouraged cloud mm -hmm. to do any type of pursuing of her in any romantic way if anything she did a lot of um encouraging him to figure out why he was acting the way that he was and and where that was coming from i.e the fireworks scene yeah yeah, I was Sorry. Gonna say, isn't isn't there a line in the fireworks scene where she basically says it would have been nice to meet the actual you? Yeah. She the the translation is literally I want to meet dot 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 you, and the translation I will say is maybe a little weak or maybe it was meant to be vague and that she's literally just telling him who I've seen is not who you are. 
And I would like to get to know who you actually are, not who you're emulating. It's kind of like, and it, it, it's a lot of this also that she knows she's going to be leaving soon. So it's like this, I really wish that we had been able to get through this with you before I had to leave because I would have really liked to get to know like who you were as a person before this all happened to you. Right. So that's, that's part one with her, her issue uh, as a character is basically the ply the players way handling it. The game goes, look, there might be a love triangle here. It's so the players goes, oh, Aerith is my favorite. I love Aerith. She's the best. And then you run after her, but she never really reciprocates anything. So it's yeah. kind of this mysteriousness the player really latches on to. At the same time, though, to be fair, she doesn't ever discourage you. So right. it's not obvious that she's not responding. Right. She she does seem to be having fun with it a bit. Um, yeah. The second half of that is that she... Most of her backstory and most of her um, her understanding as to where she came from happens after her death you mm. you learn a lot through hojo and you learn about ifalna um and you learn about the ancients after she's already passed right. and and then that's a, almost a detriment to her character in the same way that happens with luna in which it's disappointing because you're like i wish i had gotten to know her a lot better i wish i had known this beforehand but then at the same time it's the player that wants that. Maybe not Cloud. I think yeah. there's also um, uh, another similar issue is that a lot of like her impact to the party as a whole is really only like illustrated through that one scene where like no matter which party members you have with you when she dies, you get unique animations and everything, but you never really see a lot of her interaction with the rest of the party and how they actually felt about her. So a lot of that is, is very much just implied in that one scene. And there's a lot of that, I think, with uh, 15 as well, where you get these little bits and pieces and, and a couple of flashbacks. You maybe even get more than you do with, um, with Aerith of, like, who Luna is and and what her impact is to the characters that that you're playing this this story along with. And if you've watched the uh, the Brotherhood animation, right? Which is a, that's another um, a complaint that that Fifteen gets is that to get the entire story, you really have to delve into all of these other mediums and everything. Seven has the same problem. You don't get the whole yep. story unless you watch Advent Children. Unless you play Crisis, especially if you play Crisis Core. Crisis oh, yeah. Core is like the explanation of what the heck was going on in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And like everybody gives 15 a bad rap for that. But the thing is, um, Brotherhood is freely available to stream. Like they don't, yep. they, they don't ask you to pay any extra money for that. Kingsglaive a little bit less, but I would almost say Kingsglaive has a better impact if you've actually already played the game and know what's going on. Like I would not say that yeah. Kingsglaive is necessary to, to watch beforehand. Granted, there's there is an element of the uh, the final chapter of fourteen that I did, that I didn't catch that I guess would make more sense if you'd seen Kingsglaive. Like I would say, watch Kingsglaive after you've played a little bit of fifteen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like get through some of the story, understand what's going on. Like maybe even like get through the first chapter where you up to the point where Kingsglaive ends. Yeah. And then go watch Kingsglaive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
makes sense. But it's very supplemental. But it's like everybody complains is like, oh, I don't want to have to go and watch this anime. The whole thing is like two hours long. No, it's not even. Because they're like five to ten minutes a piece. Something like that, yeah. So it's really short. It's like it's not even all that much of an investment. But you get so much out of it. Right, absolutely. And like with Seven, specifically... Like, the whole thing with Hojo and and Vincent and all of that, unless you've played Dirt to Cerberus, you don't really get the full impact of what all of that was and what was going on. And with right. Zack and, and all that, because that's the other thing, is there's a whole bunch of these other scenes with Zack that are optional in the original game that you miss if you don't go back to, to Nibelheim after a certain point in the story, that it it's... Like, it seems really important to me. Like, yeah. why would you make that optional? Yeah. Yeah. Because Zack is this kind of almost unknown character that apparently Cloud emulates, but yeah. you only see bits and pieces of that in Cloud's mind um, in the latter half of the game. And even then, I mean, that's that's it. That's the only information you get on Zack outside of of optional information. Like, you don't even have to talk to Zach's parents in Gagaga if you don't want to. And you certainly don't have to talk to them with either Tifa or Aerith in your party. Yeah, That's an entire other scene that you completely miss if you do not have them both in your party. Right. Yeah, which I did because I knew something was up, I think. I think I told you. Yeah, I did have both of them. I did just because that that was my party at the time. Yeah, I think I think it was my party too. However, <laughs> however, I will say this about seven with regards to optional information: it rewarded a player for being hungry for more lore. If you're just playing to play, you can get to the story and just be like, "Sephiroth's a bad guy. I'm gonna go, you know, punch him in the face." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really wanted to know more information. The characters were not coy about the information you had access to. Um, so there were opportunities where you would get into that stuff. And if you were hungry enough, you would go track it down. Mm-hmm. Some of it was a little less obvious than others, but it was right. there. And that was something that was really great about Seven, is that it kind of like the same thing happens in the Tales games, actually. There's a lot of ancillary information in the game if you want it. If you don't, though, it's not a detriment to the game, um, but even though it's maybe a little bit of a detriment to the story. I feel like right. it's a generational gap, because it, it with modern games, and I've heard this with, I'm not going to get into it, because I can't, with current um, company, but y- you hear a lot of the same problems with uh, Persona 5. There's a section of the game that gets very complex and very complicated and some of the exposition to explain it is optional oh. and I think it's it's the, the gaming culture is very used to having their hand held these days Yeah, it's like you know if you're going to explain it just explain it all to me I don't want to have to do the work the extra work to get the extra information because there's a lot of that in 15 too is that there's a lot of extra 
exposition and extra information that you could miss if you don't know where to find it. And that's one of the major faults that people cite with the game is that it's not all there. Well, it is. You just have to do a little bit of extra digging, which is something that I really like to do. If I get really, really like excited and involved with something, I want to know everything there is to know about it. And I will go right. and dig up everything there is to find. And I enjoy that. But not everybody does, and I think that's why some of these games get a little bit more of a bad rap. Yeah. It's a criticism I saw around 13 as well, is that a lot of the backstory and the lore is something that you've got to read in, like, the menus. Which is, right. a, I guess, it's a slightly different, it's a slightly different issue, and whether or not that's a good way of, of giving exposition, that's, I mean, that's a debate that could be had. Well, yeah, but in, in fact, the difference between, say, um, 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 narrative lore versus codex lore mm. is what yeah. you're looking at. Yeah. And and both have a great a great place, great opportunity for gamers, but yeah, it depends on where the gamers are. Yeah. One, one game I'll cite with codex that I really love about codex is Mass Effect. Mm. Um, Mass Effect... Oh, yeah. Although it's it's so there's so much stuff in that game that the game is because of narrative focus and because of what's going on, there's never going to be a person who comes by and goes, "Oh, Shepard, you know we fire we fire these guns that don't run out of ammo because they shave off pieces of metal off of a off of a, a metal chunk that uh, that then propels it with mass effect generated fields and and shoots it. That's why it doesn't actually run out of ammo for like you know." three or four hours of just pulling a trigger there's no reason no one's ever gonna talk about that in the game right it's in the codex because it needs to be there for people who want to know how things work yeah so yeah codexes work great for games that are very heavy on um i guess on technical aspects of the world and lore yeah and 13 has a lot of technical aspects like the LC and everything else, it, yeah. it gets a little murky there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really like, love. Uh, I feel like no, I've been no, cutting like, you no, off that was, multiple no. times. No, that was. I mean, I I had kind of had a half-formed thought, and you ran with it, so that that was that was perfectly fine. But yeah, no, I really, really, really like the story in seven. No, Seven's got a good story, but I can't, honestly, I can't wait to see what they do with it, having, already having the complete story out there and being able to... To, to build on it and, and yes. actually flesh out the lore and everything. And they probably still are going to make a lot of it optional, because there's so much exposition that just doesn't work any other way. I just, I want, I want a playable Zack level. That's, Playable that's, Zack level would be amazing. Top of my wish list for the the Final Fantasy VII remake. I want that that flashback when when Cloud finally remembers what actually happened. I want that to be playable from Zack's perspective. I also want to see um, Vincent and Yuffie made less optional yes. party members because I can only imagine people that went through the entire game never picking them up and then seeing Dirge Zerberus coming out and being like, "Who the heck are these two? Right. They're so integral to the, the, the overall story and everything, in in my mind anyway, especially Vincent. 
Like, yeah, Vincent was Vincent. where the whole thing started. Yuffie is, I mean, not to take away from the importance of the character and, and where she fits in the world, but I feel like she's less integral to the plot than Vincent is. Well, yeah. But, like, to the party dynamics and everything. Mm. Oh, yeah, no. And I just... Absolutely. You think of games that have, like, optional party members and stuff like that, and a character like Yuffie is not what I would imagine an optional right. party member to be. Six had optional party members, and one was a uh, one was a yeti. <laughs> one one was this weird mage dude who could mimic abilities, and neither one of them got any any like heavy narrative sorts anywhere. Yuffie um, has actual yeah. character development. Mm. She has whole entire side quests and like story. She's got a background. Like it was all well, developed. Yeah. What what really helps with 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 her it's because um she essentially serves as an ambassador to Wutai because you have nobody in your party who's ever been there before. So she's optional, but the I'm trying to remember, did she did she actually like try to butt into your party at a certain point of the game, like forces her way in? I don't remember. I think maybe when you get to Wut I need to look it up. But anyway, she she serves as an ambassador to Wutai, which is a this whole other country that no one knows anything about. Well, I know that you can beat the game without her because, like, that's the whole joke about in Advent Children when um, uh, what's his name? I don't remember. I know you're talking about the kid. Yeah, the kid when he's like, "Oh, who's that?" and "Who's that?" He's it. it the joke is that that you can go through the entire game without ever picking up Yuffie or Vincent. And so, like, that's, that joke is, like, those players that didn't actually get have, like, do those optional, that optional content. Yeah. And again, with Vincent, it's like, he was there for the beginning of the whole thing. Like, the whole love triangle with, I, I hesitate to actually call it a love triangle because it's, very, very complicated, and she was never actually in love with Hojo. But with Hojo and Lucrezia and Vincent, like, that was the beginning of Sephiroth and and right. the entire plot. So how do you just leave out that character entirely? Right, yeah. And I feel like it was probably a time thing, most like. Oh, definitely. Like, the same thing with Zack. Like, all of that was supposed to have been more well-fleshed out, but it wasn't because they ran out of time. Like, that's where Crisis Core came from in the first place, was them saying, hey, this is really popular, let's go back and do all this stuff that we didn't have time to do. Yep. And that's one that I need to, uh, I need to play as well. It's a game that I will never go back and play again. I can't. I just can't. I love that game to pieces, but I can never play it again. It hurt me too much. I think I started it, and then whoever was borrowing the uh, PSP from you at the time returned it. I think you guys have the PSP again. Oh, we do now. Just Um, a question of whether or not you have Crisis Core. No, no, we just just have uh, Persona 3. 
Okay. Which Alec kept asking me for it, and so I, I finally brought it upstairs one day, put it on the table, and it sat there for a couple of days. So now it's in my room again, and if she wants it, she can ask for it when she needs it. <laughs> but I do need to get around to playing Persona 3. Anyway. Speaking of Crisis Core, and speaking of the remake, I do hope to see a little more information, a little more of appearance of Genesis. Oh, yes. Yes, that's enough. Because yes. that was left completely and entirely, like, open-ended. Like, right. at the end of the entire um, compilation and everything. Yeah, because he shows up in a, just, like, a brief cameo at the end of Dirge's service. Kind of for people to go, what? Who is this? And then Crisis Core came out to show who it was. Mm -hmm. But he, right. like, he picks up, what was his name, Weiss? And flies off, and like that's the last that you see of him. So, like, what I want to know is what happens to it. Like, where did yeah. it go, and what yeah, is he doing? That'd be, that'd be fun to see what uh, what comes of that. Sturge of Cerberus takes place after Advent Children. Yes. Okay, so it's the it's it, three years after time. instead of two years after. Mm -hmm. So it's like a year after Advent Children. So that's the end of the timeline, disregarding the hundred years later with, uh... Yes. Yeah. Red and Midgar. Yeah, disregarding that, it is the latest in the chronology. Okay. So I, I guess that wraps up general feelings on Seven. Yeah. It was a good game. Good I, game. I really enjoyed it. It it was it was a pinnacle of what games were of its time. Um, it has not aged well. Absolutely. The story has has just remained very very good though. Yeah, and, and there's a lot they can do with it. I'm excited to see what they. It was it was it was due for a remake I think because like you said it it hasn't aged well. The graphics are difficult to get through. Um, some of the gameplay is really clunky. Uh, the mini games are way too many mini games. There's way too many. <laughs> why? Everything is a mini game. Why do we need a mini game for slapping Scarlet? Because slapping. But why does it need to be a mini game? Because they could. Like there's a there's a mini game for the dolphin ride. There's a mini game for. But, but everything. But have, have you ever wanted an interactive cat fight? No. I know. I don't either. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, because you think about minigames within the context of Final Fantasy VII, most people think Gold Saucer. Like, optional stuff that you can do to earn points for optional gear. Like, great. But what they don't remember is that, like, every major scene had some sort of, like, it was the quick time event of its time. Yeah. And it was way overused. Motorcycle chase. Mm-hmm. Snowboarding. Yeah. There's like those the, weren't the really bizarre submarine mission. Yeah. And those aren't optional. Those are part of the plot. Those are like if you want to advance the story, you have to do this minigame. It's because they suddenly found themselves with twice as much processing power and a ton more storage space. Yeah. And they wanted to see what they could do with it. I'm I am almost ninety percent sure that that's what that's what all that was. What? Yeah, because the six didn't have nearly as many systems in place. Like it had some basic, like you need to do this, 
um, really stealthily, and you need to do that and that and that. But it was never involved through a completely separate system within the game, like Seven's minigames were. And the thing is, it's not like one minigame system that gets adapted for each situation. They're all different. They are all completely different and unique, and it's so unnecessary. Yep. I, th I think they were playing around with what uh, the PlayStation was capable of. You know what? I'm thinking about it. Um, one big thing about Japanese RPGs is that it tends to create merchandise and secondary games. And I'm starting yeah. to think about it more and more, and I'm wondering if maybe they specifically did that to see if anything got really popular that they could capitalize on it and come out with snowboarding game and the motorbike game. Because they did eventually come out with the motorbike game. I was really mad, too, because it never came to the list. No. I was waiting. I was like, I want to play the motorcycle game. I want to play the motorcycle. And then we just never got it. But yeah, I mean, that's that's something that's really big about, about Japanese culture, which is mildly annoying because sometimes it's very blatant. And yeah. that's that sometimes they develop stuff specifically to merchandise. It's really right. popular in anime right now, unfortunately. Mm. That's that's why these kinds of stereotypes exist is to sell merchandise. Right. Not not saying that that all games suffer from that. No. I mean but it's you know, there, there are different scenario writers and everything else, but then you have merchandisers who uh, who are gonna capitalize on it, so they gotta put it in there. Yep. Look at the Absolutely. latest the latest Star Wars movies. I mean there's stuff in there that every once in a while you'd be like, that's kind of odd. And then you realize, oh, kids are eating up that as a toy. And then you're like, oh, okay. That makes more but sense. But that's, that's been built into Star Wars from day one. Mm -hmm. The I funny mean, thing Chewbacca, is that so Chewbacca many people don't realize it. Yeah. yeah, no, Chewbacca was designed because George Lucas thought, I'd like to have that as a mug someday. That's amazing. Yep. But yeah, that's... that's yeah. Unfortunately, when a game is created, they are not only considering that singular medium. No, absolutely. Yeah, it crosses over. So it is possible those mini games were intended to be separate games at some point as well. That's yeah, that's a very valid point. Just occurred to me now. Like that's not <laughs> a prefabricated anything. Yeah, that's, no, but that's, that just hit me. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though. Absolutely. So. Fan, you want to rant about ten? Yes, let's let's talk about ten because this was, um, it was like it wasn't my first exposure to Final Fantasy, but it was absolutely the first one that I finished, and it, I cried multiple times, several different points in the story. Um, it's, uh, uh, I don't even I don't even know where to start here. Um, no, it's 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 just a beautiful story and a case where I think they handle the tragic ending very well. Um, I usually really really hate games that um, the main character dies at the end. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, but it was it was I think it was it was well handled. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Titus is not a silent protagonist. Right. No, that like was... he has he has his own agency and he has his own character and everything. And he's got a very strong character arc. And I don't 
I'm realizing now that I'm kind of drawn to that. The the character arcs of these very childish and self-centered characters that end up gaining a little bit of of selflessness and and just maturity yeah yeah maturing the coming of age type stories i I, the real true coming of age yes as opposed to what everybody says is a coming of age but like it's really just like a like a a juvenile anthem kind of thing yeah no this is he's you know he gets grows up kind of spoiled kind of angry and and self-centered and very arrogant and he gets thrown into this place that he has absolutely like just it's alien to him absolutely and completely well he was a celebrity and then all of a sudden nobody knows who he is a celebrity who was the child of a celebrity who was basically living in his father's shadow and trying to literally um um overtake and and get out of that um and then he gets thrown into this world where he doesn't know anyone doesn't know he doesn't know how to interact with that society and how how to fit in and all he wants is to go home and by the end of it he becomes invested in this world now that you you, now that you mention it like that, it has a very Tales of the Abyss feel to it, and I hadn't noticed it before. Unless I had, and I had mentioned it, and then just forgot, because I don't remember. Yeah, no, Tales of the Abyss reminds me a lot of both 7 and 10 in, in plot. Yeah, it's got elements of both, definitely. Um, no, and... and... The tragic nature of the ending is kind of set up for you fairly early on, though initially you're expecting a completely different character to die because it's, you know, um, the whole pilgrimage journey that Yuna is on is intended to culminate in her death. And then you find out partway through that, oh, Titus isn't real. Yeah, that that's that's a mind blow there. It, yeah, that was it was, and you know, in my subsequent playthroughs, like you can see it, like you can all the the hints are kind of there. Um, but of course, if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't know what you, what to see. The, the crazy thing is they go a very different direction with it. Like, you would expect something like that to be like, oh, you know, he seems like he's interacting with all these other people, but they don't actually right. see him. But, but it, no, he's... He, he exists. He has substance, yeah. but he's not... It's complicated. He's, he's basic... No, he's he's essentially no different than the uh, the Aeons. Yeah, basically. What he is, he is a projection of these people who have sealed themselves away to, um, because I don't know, I don't remember so how that's... much into the, okay, so I don't know how much into the backstory 10 goes, but 10 to, and things that I've been, I've read around it, um, 
if you remember the mountain where mm-hmm. he first finds out that he's a dream. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are the summoners of um, Sanarkand mm-hmm. who uh, encased themselves in stone, became um, I don't remember what they called them, but they, they did that. The so faith. They could, the faith, that's right. They became faith so they could project their memories of Xanarkand out into the middle of the ocean where it would be safe because they were at war with um, they were at war with the um, heavily uh, technology civilization at the time. Right. The yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, in the same, basically the same battle that first created sin, um, they created this this dreamscape, and that's where Titus was from. So here's my question, though, because I don't think this I ever actually comes up in 10 and this is something that like I I could come up with my own theories and be perfectly satisfied but was he an actual person that existed in Xanarkin back at the time or is he like some like created persona more or less Um, a little bit of both Um, he was there was a person and this is a lot of the 10-2 plot is based around this. There was a person, um, I don't remember his name, Shinryu or something like that. That Shinra. Was... No, Shinra. Okay, was somebody else. else. Um, but he was based off of this person, and very similar in personality and um, and appearance. Okay. But he was essentially his own person somehow. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I think I think it had to do. Sin got too close to the Dream Xanarchand, which was what sucked. Um, uh, Ject. Ject. Yeah, so it was sucked Ject into the real world. Because the the thing is with the um, with the the Dream Xanarchand is it seems to have its own timeline. Yes, yeah, and it was... Like, it's was... existing to to some extent, and still, right. like, moving forward. So... Yeah. But they never really explain whether, like, these dream people are, like, got teleported to a different plane of existence, or if they're just, like, what whatever is left, the remnants and, and like, psychological pieces, fragments of... of of these people that had existed at one point but don't really anymore. I think it was I think they were the memories and um I guess kind of the the fragmented um yeah the fragmented memories of the of the faith that were summoning them so they were imprints basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good way of looking at it. Okay. And then you've got um Auron, who was an onsent, who was able to interact with that dream world. And I'm not sure if anyone else would have been able to. That's not really explained. But You have to wonder if it if that stemmed from his um, like all of the interactions and everything he had with Jekt, or if that's something that like all onsent are able to do, they just don't know it because they don't know how to get there. I'm not sure. It's 
that it it could be it could be either it could be a combination of the two um, or it could have something to do with the fact that he was there when the latest incarnation of sin actually was created yes that's that's another possibility because sin's involvement and sin returning to Xanarkand after Jack had become sin was part of the reason why I think that was the reason why Titus was even able to um, interact in the real world hmm <laughs> I still haven't finished ten two, so all of this is a lot of this is just stuff that I've read about backstory wise because I started I, ten two, but I haven't actually gotten very far with it. Yeah, it's it's a pretty severe style shift. Well, see, I didn't have any problems with that. I just didn't have time. I think Persona Five okay. had come out around the time that I had like gotten into it. Okay. So like. Yeah. That was a whole time sink. I will say the um, the leveling system on that one was interesting. With the the different uh, dress spheres. I actually kind of really enjoy the system. Yeah, no, I've I've actually I've I've read that a lot of the a lot of the positive responses to it were the the battle system and the dress sphere system. Like, I know there's a lot of really negative backlash that Ten Two gets, but I think a lot of that stems psychologically from, this is very different from what yes. I'm used to, so I'm going to attack it in the yeah. most terrible ways that I can. Which, which terrifies me about the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yes. Oh, it's, it's I definitely... Feeling, I have a feeling the gamers are going to hate it, because... Oh, yeah. It's not what they want. It's going to be different. We already know it's not what they want. It's what I want, but it's not what they want. What they want yeah. is a graphical update, which you cannot do without building the game back up from the bottom. Right. Like, you just, you can't. The graphics just don't mesh. You have to start over, which, when you do that, you have to improve it. And if you improve it, you're changing it. And then people are going to get mad. Did you know that the, uh, the I think the director for Ten Two was actually the guy who designed the entire um, Honey Bee in sequence in 7. I did hear that. Yeah. Not surprised. It, it, it explains a lot of the, the stylistic elements of it. Because there's um, a stylistic difference in 7 for that as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. 2 actually also heavily implies that 10 and 7 exist within the same universe. Well, the fact that Shinra is a character in the first yes. place. And he has, I think it's optional, but he has some dialogue where he talks about the fact that it should theoretically be possible to harness the power of the far plane. Well, for energy. the way the far plane works and the way the life stream works are actually fairly similar. We just haven't, the, the world hasn't gotten to the technological point where they see it as an actual energy source. So I can definitely see right. how they would be connected. And the I think the uh, the far plane life stream whatever in ten is a bit more volatile because of the sheer amount of destruction and death that occurs in Spira. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's a lot suggesting that their um, that their worlds function in the same, uh, if not on the same planet, then in the same universe, galaxy, whatever, what have you. Would would that implication then be that the summoners are actually the ancients? 
that would be an implication, yes. Being the race that can actually um, talk to the, the, the life force of the planet and the didn't deceased the Cetra, souls. Didn't, didn't the Cetra come from another another world? No, they were the original, no? yeah. Okay. Genova, Genova came from another world. Genova came from another, okay. That was it. She came, she, um, she presented herself to the Cetra as one of them. And then infected them with a virus, mm, and that's right. and they, uh, they wiped really, out a lot of them. Yeah, they they had some problems, and that's how okay. their population dwindled so much. Here's right. here's an interesting thought, because you know over thousands and thousands of years, stories can get warped. Um, right. Genova is sin. The quote unquote plague is the fact that the summoners believed that they had to keep throwing themselves at sin in order to purge it and that's how the cetra were their their population was dwindled that is that is maybe interesting theory interesting yeah. theory one could also consider it that if they were in fact playing with this idea which i Personally, I think is really dangerous for them to do, and I don't think they would. But if they were playing with the idea that the worlds were connected, I think that they might pull more of a Legend of Zelda, where they say that one is on an alternate timeline. Like That's one, a thought. Like one takes like the 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 result of one game is the alternate timeline of how things could have gone wrong in the other game. Kind of like the whole, like I said, uh, Link doesn't beat oh, Ganondorf. Yeah. yeah or yeah. Ganondorf wins in the alternate dark timeline, which has yeah. a link to the past in it. Yeah. Hmm. That would be interesting, too. Yeah, that could be that could be interesting. Also, it would, you know, it would kind of explain why Spirit has very little landmass. This is true. Compared this to Zelda, which has a lot of landmass. All right. That's a very fair point. That's a that that's a long period of time. Yeah. So you're thinking like ten is actually like in like seven's future if the meteor didn't get stopped. Possibly. Ooh. That's another interesting theory. The really simple explanation for this is probably just that they were fun references to oh, yeah. the previous oh, yeah. game oh, that the developers threw it in there. That's how they did that. But we can we can we can try to make connections all we want. Yeah. No, and there's there's there is extensive theories on the connections between ten and, and seven. No squall no, no cloud nor squall shall hinder us. <laughs> from uh obviously nine's yep. play. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> Just someone in the in the translation team was like <laughs> this would be funny. <laughs> No, if we're if we're gonna make like actual connections, I would say the stronger connection is probably between seven and fourteen because fourteen there is an actual life stream. They that is what they call it. Mm, yeah. It doesn't come up much because it's not really a primary like plot point, but there was a a a quest in one of the patches where they were actually explaining how the life stream works, and it was exactly the way it works in seven. Anyway, hmm. so that's oh. fun. 
I do I do have to defend one thing about ten that gets a lot of flack, and that's mm-hmm. the laughing scene. Um, yeah, nobody actually understands that scene. It's not supposed to be an actual laugh. It's supposed to sound forced. That's yep. the whole point. If you listen to the entire scene from the beginning, it makes perfect sense. Because James Arnold Taylor has been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. He's a very talented actor. Mm-hmm. I have, I have seen people argue that um, he might be a better Obi-Wan than Ewan McGregor. That's quite the statement, but I don't that, doubt that, that it's true. Um, did you see the video he had posted where he was like doing the laughing, but yes. to the um, it was like the uh, what is it called? Is it to Xanarkin? Is to that Xanarkin. the name of the yeah. song? So funny. Hmm. He also did a video where he was like, "Get over it! It was a joke." That one was pretty funny too. No, I'm sorry. It was the same video. He said that right, right at the end. Anyway. Yeah. That's, uh... There's so many things in so many different games that people, like, rag on, on like, the developers, the writers, and, and, and stuff for. And it's like, well, if you were just paying attention, then it would make more sense. Yeah. attention to some of the people still don't pay attention like we'll get into this when you actually play it but there's a lot of that going around with persona 5 right now like there's a lot of people that are praising the game as this great game but then there are people that are like i don't know if they're just trying to be contrary or if they actually have problems with the game but they're complaining about certain aspects of it and it's like well if you were paying attention that scene made perfect sense again though we'll get into that when you actually play it I have feelings about that. <laughs> I have feelings about that. Anyway. The only thing I'll say about 10, um, in addition to what's been said so far, is I think the reason why it works so well as a tragedy, which usually makes me leaves me feeling really empty inside upon its completion, is that Titus had time to come to terms with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he, like, he got to, you got to see him handle it, and he talked it through with himself. And with, it was, there's some generalizations here and there with Orin, where I think basically Orin was just like, you know, are you okay? And he's just like, yeah, I'm fine. Just. I think a lot of that. Get through it. I think a lot of that stemmed from like right before that. His whole thing was, I have to save Yuna, like, mm. like. After a certain point of the game, when you find out like what her actual mission is, like he makes it his goal to figure out how to yes. save her. And then at a certain point, he realizes, oh, that's really the only way that this is going to work. Mm. So at that point, it's just like he gets over it. I feel like he gets over it fairly quickly because like he really doesn't have any other choice. He has to save her. Yeah, yeah. he, he loves her too much for her to do what she's going to do. The underwater date scene. That. Oof. Sometimes I tear up just thinking about it. That's. <sighs> How do they hold their breath so long? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, I was, I wanted the I same mean, thing during Blood you would Bowl. think you would think that they would have like escalated heartbeats and everything else, so they probably need to breathe a little bit faster. Well, Blitzball is a thing. I know. I, I feel like there's some sort of evolutionary something that has occurred that has allowed them to, like, certain certain people can actually breathe underwater. Yeah, I'm right. pretty sure you're right, because um, there is a portion of the game where you're basically underwater for, like, 45 minutes of gameplay. So, isn't so, there... Yeah. Isn't there, like, there's a section of the game where you have to take certain party members with you because the other party members can't breathe underwater? Or aren't as strong swimmers. Yeah, you've got yeah. three three characters that are, are strong swimmers can actually fight underwater. Titus, Waka, and Riku. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah. like, it's a thing. Like, there's certain people that there's can operate underwater, and those are the ones that actually end up playing Blitzball or, like, become scavengers or what have you. Yeah. So it's it's an evolutionary and thing. It also looks like it might be uh, somewhat hereditary, mm-hmm. since um, uh, Riku's brother is also is capable of playing Blitzball. Right. Yeah, True. it's 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 yeah, it's a genetic thing. Yeah. And it it probably has a lot to do with the fact that there is so little landmass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like people have just adapted to being able to hold their breath for almost limitless amounts of time underwater and they can swim really really well but there are still some people that are just completely landlocked cool but yeah um 10 good game i love that the whole thing is based around like a story in japanese mythology i just absolutely love that when i found that out and uh the fact that titus and yuna are both um have a very strong sun and moon motif going on. Mm-hmm. It 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 kind of adds to that kind of tragic romance that they've got going on. Yeah, this whole idea of like, isn't there? There's there's some mythology where like the sun is like chasing the moon or something like that, and then we'll never catch them. Or yeah, is that yes? I can't remember if that's like Greek or Egyptian. I don't remember. It's one of the two, but it's like this really tragic because they are actually they're like married or like in love or something like yes. that, but they can't yeah. ever be together. Yep, and um, in fact, their names I believe are Sun and Moon in in Okinawan dialect. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's which <sighs> is 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 an interesting um, subversion of the the trends of the series because the series usually has like cloud and squall and lightning and stuff like that which if you think about it from the perspective of this being a primarily japanese name that's really cool that you know they have english names and they have these really cool meanings and that it like it sounds weird to us because like those are words in english those are not names but i'm sure you get the same thing um with 10 with these characters that have these names that are actually words and it probably sounds really stupid. Yeah. So, if anything else to add for ten, or go back to seven at all, or are we moving on to the crux of everything? I think we're ready to move into the yeah. the meat. Okay. Yep. Who wants to rant first? Well, first let's get a general overview because I haven't actually talked to Fen since he finished, like really in depth, ah. since he finished fifteen. So I want to get I want to get his thoughts on because I've talked to you quite a bit, Jax. Extensively. Yes. Because 
like I was there when you finished the game. I cried, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yes, Fen, yeah. I want your thoughts on the the base game. On the base game, I I really enjoyed it. Um, it was I it it, it didn't seem too like complex at first and then you get to what is it chapter 13 and all of a sudden there's so many layers to the story and i'm glad i actually went and looked around to make sure that i got everything because we were you know we were talking about you know, having to find lore and, and all optional that. exposition yeah that's yes. a lot of people complain about chapter 13 specifically because it's a lot of long corridors it's a really really big dungeon and you are by yourself for the majority of it, and then there's all of this optional exposition, and a lot of people don't like it at all. None of it bothered me. I actually liked Chapter 13. To be fair, I, thought, I think you played it after they nerfed it a little this bit. Is true. This is true. But they didn't actually shorten it. See, I thought that, I thought that was probably one of the strongest points story-wise for the whole game. Was, was chapter 13. I feel like it was really well executed environmentally. Like, atmospherically. Because yes. they... Atmospherically, they were... I liked the idea of being disarmed. Mm-hmm. It was I, intentional. I, that may, I know that probably... That's probably weird. A lot of people disagree, but no. I, I thought that that was a very... I thought it was a good idea. I liked the way it played out. I it was necessary was... for the character development as well. Mm. Yes. Because Noct was not going to put that ring on unless he absolutely had no choice. Yep. And, yeah, I think... I think getting to understand the villain's motivations, um, because up until then he was a very chaotic character, and it was hard to understand the reason why he did what he did. Yeah, up until that point, you're like, you're helping us sometimes, and then, like, going up against us other times, and why why are you doing this? Yeah. So, that was... Yeah, that was nice, nice to get that. Yep. And then going back and playing the other path was helpful, because it, it it wasn't very clearly explained when you were fighting the Emperor. Like, I think, I, I picked up on it that that was what was going on. Mm -hmm. That the Emperor had been turned into this demon and that he was after me. Um, but having the, the, the other path actually confirmed that that's what was going on because you had both pieces. Yeah, I'm really glad that they put that out and that it yes. like, it also gives you an, an alternate like shortcut almost for people that are like playing through the game again so that they don't have to slog through the entirety of chapter 13 because the the alternate chapter 13 is much much shorter yeah yeah it is but there's a lot of the exposition that you miss if you don't go through it the original way i, don't know, I just i really i really enjoyed the way the story built mm-hmm and each chapter kind of felt a little bit different. Maybe a little less so early on. Yeah, they're yeah, very like, distinct. Like, after after chapter 8, I think they start becoming very distinct. Yes. So you've got, like, you know, maybe the first eight chapters are kind of the same, you know. 
Well, they're all in the same place. Like, chapters 1 through 8 all take place in the open world. Yeah, and it's it's the road trip feel that I think drew a lot of people into the the game. Um, But in the end, it's a Final Fantasy, and they have to tell a Final Fantasy story. Right, and I thought that when they got to that point, it was very well done. Um, I liked the feeling of impending doom that kind of hung over the last couple of chapters, mm-hmm. especially as, as the days got shorter. And, and uh, That was a nice touch that I hadn't actually noticed until I think about chapter 10. Mm. Was like, wait a minute. Daylight, I thought, usually started about 8 o'clock. And now dawn is at like 10 or 11. What is going on? Mm. And then the very next chapter, they actually specifically state the days are getting shorter. Yeah. Like, that's the first time they actually mention it as a, like, a major in-your-face thing. Yeah. I hate chapter 11, by the way. Oh. Like, I love it, and I absolutely hate it. Which one was that one? Uh, that was on the train. Oh. How long did it, t- oh. I want to know this, how long did it take you to figure it out? I didn't figure it out until after. Oh. <gasps> I would I really. Knew something was, I knew something was weird, but I didn't figure out what was going on until after he actually pushed Prompto off the train, and I'm like, "Wait a minute!" Oh, that was. I that would. Was... I would very much encourage you either use Chapter Select and go back and play through that again, or like find it on YouTube. It is extremely obvious. Like I didn't get it until like halfway through, like running through the train, and like some of the stuff he's saying, he's like, "Oh, hey, buddy, are you okay? Like, calm down." I'm like. This does not sound right. Like this doesn't yeah. sound right. But it's very obvious, like in the like his speech patterns and everything. Yeah. Because it is Prompto still talking. It just looks and sounds like Arden. Oh yeah. And to think of it in the context of like Knox just telling him, "This is all your fault. Why are you following me?" Oh no. Oh. Oh, it was so painful, and I was oh. I got to that point, and I was like, I can't. Don't make me. Don't make me like please give me a choice. I don't want to kill this guy. Like, don't make me do that. Yeah. I love Prompto. Prompto's great. I think what got me with that scene was, um, I almost, when, when, when Prompto showed up as Arden, I immediately knew what was going on. But what I didn't realize was that basically the majority of that chapter up to that point, anytime you saw Prompto, it was Arden. Yeah, when you're like outside the train fighting with Prompto, it's not Prompto, it's Arden. Huh. Like all of his battle lines and everything are completely different. Yeah. And he's like acting, acting like he's like acting, he's asking dumb questions like, "Oh, what do we do now?" Or like, "How do I do this?" And you're like, "Just, just shoot him." And he's like, "Oh, that's an idea." It's like you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm gonna have to play play back through chapter eleven. Then, yeah, yeah play back through chapter eleven. Definitely recommend. Yeah, no, it, it caught me completely off guard, which isn't easy to do. Yeah, that like the switch Not... happens when 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 knocked gets like knocked out is like he's chasing Arden, but it's actually Prompto, and then when Prompto like picks him up afterwards and has no idea what just happened, that's Arden. Huh. Yeah, that's that's fun. 
yeah, I hate I hate that chapter just because like I I really hurt for 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 Prompto and what he's going through yeah. in that in that moment. Yeah. And I almost wish that episode Prompto had opened with that from Prompto's perspective. That would have been fun. That would have been but Although the open, the cold open in the <laughs> cold open uh, um, in the in the snow was that was that was that was still very impactful. And that he's still trying to get back to them. Yeah, because he doesn't really know what else to do with himself. Yeah. I think episode prompto was my favorite of the um, the story DLCs. I have mixed feelings. Oh. Well. I mean, I, I think we can all agree that episode Gladio really should have been called episode Core and was very, yeah. like, unnecessary as as a whole. Like, it was fun. The battle system's yeah. really fun. But I don't feel like episode Gladio was fundamentally necessary to the story as a whole. It didn't give him a whole lot of actual character development either. This is true. It was just kind of reaffirming what he already knew about himself. Yeah. Like, the most intriguing part of any of that was getting to hear a lot of Kor's backstory. Yes. Yes. And and for that reason, I, I'm glad that they did it. But you're right, it didn't develop Gladio hardly at all. No. It was basically just, I need to be stronger. I'm gonna go beat stuff with my fists. Okay, now I'm stronger. And I've proved that I'm strong enough to do what I have said that I wanted to... It was just... Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was a very traditional shonen episode. Yeah. Yes. Which which is not... not it's not disingenuous to Gladio's character, though, because that's how he views things. He, he views things through the nuance of strength, which is yes. really important. And what Core's conversations, what those are so important about, is Accord was basically telling him, look, I thought I was strong. I thought strength was about how much I could punch things in the face. But I learned the hard way that wasn't the strength that I needed. And basically, the whole, all those conversations as he went along was just telling Gladio, yeah, punching things in the face, very important. But what's also important is standing strong next to your king and being his shield. Mm. And that's what Gladio had to hear. So yeah, he it wasn't a lot of development for him, but it did give him an opportunity to really understand his role with Nod. Um, so that later on, when things got hairy and got messed up, and once nerves and emotions settled down, that he could push it all to the side and finally say, no, wait, I'm the shield of the king. I have to defend him. Mm-hmm. And it took him a little while. But that that seed was there, because if it wasn't for Kor, I don't think Gladio would have been able to reconcile his differences with what Noct was showing versus mm-hmm. what he believed the king should be. And he probably would have turned his back on him. So you think he would have left in Chapter 10 if it weren't for... I think he, I would think he would have just given up on him and said, no, I'm going back to... Um, going Not necessarily to insomnia, but I'm going back up to... Uh, what's that area called? Lucis area just you know, I'm going to go and I'm yeah. going to help the people there because at least I'll be doing something good unlike the person I see in front of me I guess that's a fair point I just 
I think a lot of the issues that I have with Gladio's character as a whole is I was expecting Angel, and that's not what I got. Like, I, looking at the cast of characters without any context, I thought Gladio was going to be my favorite, and I was so wrong. I thought Iggy was going to be my favorite. I have good news, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was right. See, I didn't think I was going to like Iggy at all. He struck me, like, just just looking at the characters' appearances and, like, the very first clips that we got at the very beginning when they started actually developing the game as it turned out to be, um, I thought Iggy was just going to be, like, this stuck-up. He he did show the least amount of emotion out of the, yep. the, the boys. And honestly, overall... He still shows the least amount of emotion out of everybody else, but he's also very much in charge of his emotions, which is helpful. He's, he's yeah. very nuanced, though. Like, I knew yeah. after after seeing Brotherhood, I knew that Iggy was my favorite. <laughs> Just that whole thing, like, he he knows all of the all of the other guys so well, and he does everything he can without actually saying anything. It's just Anyway, yeah. But to to get back to what I was talking about, um, <laughs> episode prompto. I really, really, really like the story and all of the exposition and 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 everything that it brings to the table as far as uncovering like what prompto actually is and how he fits into the story and everything. Oh yes. But you don't like the mechanics. No, I love the mechanics. Oh. I actually love like. Episode Prompto as a whole is fantastic, but I, I, the whole showdown with Arden in Altitia in Episode Iggy, on top of that, the fact that it actually has branching, um, branching paths, and the optional alternate ending just ramps it up so much for me. It also wasn't buggy. It also wasn't buggy. Episode Prompto is actually really, really, really buggy. Is it? Yeah. I don't know if you've experienced this, but, like, after you get, like, you, 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 after you actually get Arnia in your party and you're going to the base, like, the first time I played that through, like, I did the fight and everything in front of the doors, and one of the, one of the soldiers, like, glitched into the floor. Oh, no. And because I was technically still in battle, I couldn't advance. Oh, like no. through the door, and RNA is just sitting there, like jumping up and down, trying to hit the guy on the floor, and she can't reach him because he's in the floor. I had to reload a save. Oh no! Yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually run into any problems. And then, um, so in about lucky. about the same spot, when Jax is playing through it, he like got down into the base, and like I don't actually know what happened, but he picked up one of the the tapes, and it didn't go into the cutscene. Where like Prompto kneels down on the floor and everything, but it still played the audio. But it thought that he was interacting with the tape, so after it finished playing, he couldn't interact with anything. Oh no. I couldn't even perform like battle actions or anything like that. So nice. I had to finally just go back to uh, oh. go back to my previous save. So like that that particular section of, of the DLC is actually really, really buggy. And they still haven't okay. fixed it, so Oh, episode well, episode Iggy, not buggy at all. <laughs> no, and I I liked the uh, 
it felt a lot like uh, Assassin's Creed, and I don't know if that's just like the general Venetian feel of the. I of think. Altisha, but. I think was... that was them taking the um, the mechanics from the Assassin's Festival that had just um, had just been released right before that, and saying, you know what, we're going to use these mechanics for something else. Gotcha. Which I'm glad they did because it worked so much better than it did in the festival. <laughs> yeah, no, like it, it that that the first chapter of Episode Ignis felt a lot like uh, a little bit like Assassin's Creed, which yeah, that's that's not a complaint. It was just yeah. Oh, that's great. It felt like early Assassin's Creed, where mm-hmm. you could basically just drop down and sit there and parry every single enemy in a parry chain and just murder. Yeah. Just leave a, a field of bodies around you, which you can't do in later Assassin's Creed games, but it was a lot of fun when you were playing as Ezio. Yeah. I, w- I want to bring up an interesting point about Ignis. Um, he can use magic, like, willy-nilly. Yes. Like, he's the only character that can do that. Like, not even Noct. Noct has to, like, draw magic and, and mm-hmm. form it into a usable thing. Ignis just does. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm just gonna we're gonna we're gonna attack with some ice now, and then then we're gonna burn you, and yeah. Even in the base game, like his his like tech abilities are, I'm going to imbue your weapon with magic, but I'm not actually gonna use any of our stores of magic that we have. Yeah. So there's there's something there. Yeah, that's. I think, I think my theory, which came up between us at one point. Um, was that he has probably been, um, I don't remember exactly when, but at some point in the past, he was probably given a messenger's ability. Yeah. So he's a pseudo-messenger of the gods. My theory for a little while is that he was um, connected somehow to Carbuncle. And my proof on that is that every single picture of Carbuncle that I ended up with was Iggy in the picture. With huh. Carbuncle in the background. So I was like, there's gotta be something there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that is interesting. Carbuncle, yeah. See, that already has extremely deep pockets of of magical stores and whatnot that we just don't know about. <laughs> which seems unlikely. My my personal opinion, yeah, I, I think Gladio it 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 was sorry, I have the hiccups. It's important. Sorry. To have that for him because it shows where that kind of change of attitude came from at that time in the game and uh, also gave him a little bit more nuance when uh when Iggy finally snapped on them and Gladio had to basically go okay I have a job to do mm-hmm. um and honestly I actually found I found episode Gladio a lot more fun to play than the other two I know that might be weird mm-hmm. Um, but I actually found it very, very entertaining to go around and just basically do a hack and slash. I liked that aspect of it. What I didn't like is that a lot of the more nuanced mechanics were very, very dependent on timing. Which I actually enjoyed because it made it a lot more interesting for me. I did not like because I couldn't get the timing at all. I actually liked Ignis's gameplay the least because I did not... Basically, I was like, all right, let me just hold down a button and move around the battlefield and switch which button I hold down. And then every time I get hit by something, I would get knocked down. Yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, animation lock. With Gladio, it was a lot more effort to knock him down. And that's because Gladio is a tank. 
He's a dark knight. I think that's maybe why I liked it more. Ignis is Ignis is like a black mage rogue lancer. And I just really, really like using the daggers in the base game anyway, so True. I really enjoyed the combat in that. I was always using the uh the sword or the great sword. Yeah. I was I I used the um ultimate blade a lot in the main game. But then prompto Yeah, well that's I mean it's it's a good weapon. Yeah. It has a nice speed to it and you can move around a lot without having to use daggers. Um Prompto I liked in between. Um I actually Gladio's story and Prompto's story, I liked about even personally. Um I, I mean it's possible because of how how do I put this? I think it's because I played Iggy's story first and then I went back and played Prompto's later was probably detrimental to Prompto's story because the emotional depth of of episode Ignis is just so it's just so much. And you go to Prompto, which is it it is very heartfelt. It's very emotional, but it also feels very for lack of a better word, it feels very um very selfish. Well, it's all about him coming to terms with like what he is so that he can be mentally prepared to tell everybody else. Oh yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying so, that I don't understand. It's just the whole time when Aranea showed up, I just I constantly over and over and over was like, "Come on, Aranea, give him a kick in the nads, get him going, light a fire in his butt, do what you got to do. I know you're gonna do it." And then she does it eventually. Yeah. And then of course it made me love Aranea even more, and I'm really looking forward to episode Aranea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because yes, yes. I. I, I really do think that each of the um each of these episodes, I feel like the secondary character involved in them got a lot more nuance to their character than the main character did. Well, um, the the main yes. characters for these episodes were all characters that got a lot of attention and development in the base game to begin with. Right. Right. These were just supplemental. Here's what happened to this character when when he was not in the party. Mm. So I think. I want to. Go ahead. I want to see more of uh, Biggs and Wedge in episode RNA. Yes, I'm sure we yeah. will. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a complete tangent. No, that's okay. But, like, I know, Jax, you were very, very disappointed with how Ravis was handled in the base game to begin with. Um, there's a few things they didn't handle very well in the mm-hmm. base game. And we'll get to that momentarily, because I have lots of thoughts. But I feel like... Like, I was really excited when I played episode Iggy because I was like, oh, this is the fight against Ravis that we got cheated out of in the base game. Like, Ravis actually fighting Ravis himself at his full power as a boss fight. Because you don't get that in, in base game. What you get is this twisted, demonic form where he's, like flailing around and he's very powerful yes but a lot yeah. of that's coming from the, the the demon blood that's been infused with him yeah right and there is a fact that you you at that time feel how powerful ravis actually is because mm-hmm. iggy is iggy's good but the only reason why ravis did not just hammer him into the ground was because he was so emotional yeah now, he wasn't thinking strategically or anything. So Iggy yeah. was only holding his own because of that. Yeah. 
I, I did like getting to know Ravis a little bit more in episode Ignis. I just wish that we were able to see a little more of his relationship with the Luna. Yeah. I... I don't know. I just, I felt like... I know exactly what you're saying, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. Okay. His emotional investment in Luna mm-hmm. um, has has no connection with what we've seen him doing the rest of the yes. game. Yes. Like the rest that. of the game, he's very cold and unattached. And then out of nowhere, he's like, my sister. And you're like, don't leave me. What? what? But I thought yeah. you were like, I thought you were a Niflheim general and like you were being all angry and rude and everything. And, but you were actually doing this for Luna. I, you dude, you really need to talk about your emotions. Yeah. I, I feel just... like, I feel like a lot of that problem comes from the fact that a lot of the um, a lot of the character development and stuff that we see of Ravis is out of out of order. Because mm. the one of the first flashbacks we get of Ravis and Luna is him and Alticia telling her, "You need to make this right. You know, you have a duty to do. You need to go to him." Blah blah blah. The next one that we get is him yelling at her, saying, "He's never going to be king. You're throwing your life away. What are you doing?" And it's like that scene comes before the other scene. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all in there. It, it, you know, in the letters and the flashbacks and seeing like what his motivations were for rising up in the ranks and doing what he did with the, with the army and everything. It's all there. It's just given to us out of context, out of order. And then paired with this, this character that is very much against Noct. just the whole idea of Noct as a person, as a King, as his sister's love interest and all of that. And it's, it's, there's a disconnect. Yeah. Ravis got the short stick. Ravis got a very short stick. Maybe, maybe we'll get to see more of Ravis in episode. Episode Luna. That would be, that, that would be ideal, I think. Mm -hmm. Because like, I want to feel bad for this guy. I want to, I want that moment where he's, begging his sister not to leave him to have some kind of emotional weight for me it just doesn't it did for me um i don't know if maybe i was just more tuned into this game than you guys were but that one hit me hard i was in tears i was i was a mess yeah like that scene it still gets like it got me when i was watching jack's play through it and he was like mm. i'm sorry it just didn't really get me I was like over there with tissues. I'm like, it's okay, you got me. Well, my reasoning is the same problem I've had with the rest of the game, which again we'll 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 cover, and in just a little bit because unfortunately, it's basically my problem with the entire game as a whole, is one specific aspect of Noct, um, which we'll we'll get to as soon as we finish discussing the rest of the DLC. Um. But yeah, Ravis, Ravis getting more screen time was nice because, again, built more of a uh, of a connection with his character, better understanding as to as to who he was, um, what his relationship with Luna actually was, beyond this weird disjointedness we've gotten in the past. I and think there's course, there's was, go ahead. I'm sorry. There's a, there's a specific scene where you actually get to talk to him and ask him questions. And I think that was the clarifying scene for me was like, 
I don't care about anything else except for getting my sister out of here alive. She is the only thing that I care about in this world. Right. right. And it, and I did appreciate that um, that because of that conversation, he and Iggy did come to like a, a gentleman's agreement, which is we don't like each other, but we have bigger fish to fry and we can get, you know, we can team up to take on this problem. Yeah. I just, I want to see more of the actual relationship between Ravis and Luna. Yes. I want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Have you actually seen Kingsglaive? Not yet. That may be part of the problem. That, yeah, yeah, that, I, there is a certain arrogance to him because the, 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 the reason he has this bionic arm in the first place is because it got burned off. He tried to put on the ring himself. Right. Um, so there, there was a certain arrogance to that, but a lot of it is also that he does not want this connection between Luna and Nock to come to fruition because he knows what that means for her. Right. Like literally all of his motivations for everything that he does in the game is because he's trying to fight fate for his sister. Yeah. But yeah, that's. I really do think that um, that those are the showcase mm-hmm. of the DLC, Core, Aranea, and Ravis. A little yeah. bit of Arden as well, because Arden was a little more clear on some of his intentions and backstory yeah. in Iggy's uh, story. Yeah. And I think that's gonna move us right into discussing the alternate timeline really, really well. Yeah. Mhm. Ah, uh, I just. Because Finn has issues. That's fine. That's fine. I, I want to hear his issues. I, I, it's really funny because I think I have, I have, I have an issue that basically takes both of how you guys view it and puts it together. <laughs> but go, go for it, Finn. What you got? So I, I don't. I just, I didn't understand how. I don't. Why? Why does why does Noct get to live if Ignis steals the ring and runs off with it? I don't. That doesn't make sense to me. I can explain it. Like none of. No, I get. You know. I. I see. I guess I can see where it accelerates the plot to Noctis going into the crystal willingly after um ignis fights like that that it makes sense but i don't understand how that translates to oh now we're gonna defeat arden but we're not gonna summon we don't have to summon the 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 round table of kings there here's my theory okay because all of this is stemming from this prophecy from bahamut right Uh uh-huh the Astrals are often referred to as gods, but I don't think that's quite it. So I think Bahamut was wrong. Like, I think this was the outcome that he was seeing as the most likely outcome, and probably the most beneficial that he was able to determine. So in his mind, this was the only way it was going to end, was with a sacrifice. But I think think that he was wrong i think there was another way to do it and we don't really get like a a a solid explanation as to what that was but i think with not only with iggy being as smart as he is but also having access to the power of the lucii for the short time that he had it 
and also just like fully giving himself over to the power of the ring in the end like he had to um <laughs> um i think that gave him the knowledge and the sight the, the foresight to be able to see another option and then they had the 10 years in between where Noct was in the crystal to work out a plan because throughout the credits you can see they're like they're going to all these different places talking to all these different people they're doing research they're trying to figure out right. what exactly Arden is and how to beat him without Noct having to die mm -hmm. okay but also why did Ignis not die because the crystal is this all-powerful force that can be used to help and to heal. Okay. That's that that's what that was. He was using the that, power of the crystal. That should to, have been. That should it should have been, been more obvious. Because that was like, okay, so Ignis dies instead of Noct. Is that what's about to happen? But no, nobody dies. Well, no, because well, you haven't seen Kingsglaive, so I don't know if I want to spoil it. But that's what the ring does. Like. For anybody who is not a member of the line of Lucis, they can still be deemed worthy by the past kings to wield the power, but it is going to destroy them. Right. Depending on how much power you take is how much you have to sacrifice in order to get it. And in the original timeline, that was Ignis's sight. Like, he, he lost the ability to properly use his eyes. It damaged his right. his eyes. But in yeah. the alternate timeline, he realizes what Arden is and what his ultimate plan is because he's told him the whole thing and right. has decided that that cannot happen. And he has to sacrifice everything in order to stop Arden from doing what he's planned to do. Yeah. That that one I can I can reconcile a little bit better. There's a lot of nuance to the um, the Iggy DLC that isn't like outright explained. And to be fair, a lot of this is also assumption. Like we're all we're, we're, fair we're, point. We're, we're not a hundred percent sure on any of this. Like for example, one of my theories personally is that the reason why the ring didn't outright destroy Iggy and just took his sight. Is because he was not he was not using the power of the ring um, to stop something or protect the city. He was using the ring to protect Noct, one of the line of Lucius. That's a fair point too. So the kings probably took a less of a toll on him um, because of his intentions. Okay. Because Noct hadn't accepted the ring. It's not until after that that he finally accepts it in chapter That's 13. Right. Yeah. Or in the case of the alternate in um, after. Right. Where he's right, still right. barely alive at the end of that, where he literally trades his life for it. Yeah. And the kings are like, okay, we're not going to take your whole life for this, but we are going to, you know, to to kill you. You're just going to see long enough to, to, to witness your friends come back and everything else. Um. But of course, that's when Noct goes, nope, boom, crystal powers. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's it's a bit of a... It's kind of a cop-out, but they yeah. never really explain what the crystal's power actually is. Right. So it I feel like it's a fair all, one to take. 
all we know about the crystal for the most part is that it's something that Nippleheim wants. And that's mostly what we know about the crystal. I think there was something mentioned at one point that is like crystals were bestowed to mankind by the astrals to protect themselves. Um, likely from the scourge. Um, but the one that Lucis had in its possession was the last one in existence because all the rest of them had been either lost or destroyed. And the, the crystal is what is actually powering the um, the force field that, that Insomnia uses to protect itself, not only from like demons and monsters and stuff, but also from the Niflheim army as well. Like, it is their, their security. Right. right. Of course, it requires someone to actually yeah. you know, utilize the crystal, which is what's really draining... Um, reaches his health mm -hmm. at this point because he's deteriorating fast yeah. it's because he's using his own life force um, to feed the crystal to use that shield not only that but he's also he does like wear he doesn't use it but he wears the ring of Lucii and that is also kind of draining his life force as well but I think the ring is what kind of gives him the ability to use like tap into the crystal's powers in the first place if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's right. Because Nock puts the ring on. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. right after that. He puts the ring on and then he reaches out to the crystal for the power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really it's really vague what the crystal's actual abilities are. But I would argue they're probably very white mage-ish. Like healing and protection and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Or scholarly. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and I really think that the whole like ten year gap is a really big factor in all of this as well. Because ten years is a really long time. And this is true. there was one very important piece of information that Iggy had that he did not have in the original timeline, which was what is Arden? Like right. they spent those ten years like there was a lot of tension too between the the three guys after knock left like you hear about them like they haven't they don't really operate together anymore they're just kind of off doing their own things yeah um so iggy didn't have a lot of help and he's also blind yeah so Although he's blind in the alternate isn't he no is he not no that's no. right he's not no, he's he, not he restored his sight as well that's right i i, I had noticed that i just forgot yeah, because yeah. it it zooms in on his on his face, um, right there at the end of that one scene, and it shows his eye yeah. clear. New glasses, and he blinks. That's right. Yeah. So not only did he have his sight, he also had the help of Promdu and Gladio, and he knew yeah. exactly what Arden was, so he knew where to direct the research. Basically, right. Iggy had cheat codes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, that makes sense. I still think I like the uh, the main ending better. My this is gonna sound really funny. My main issue with the alternate ending is that it is a true, complete happy ending, which drives me up a wall because I know it's not the true ending, and it's so depressing to go back to the normal ending. I'm just, yeah. like, I'm just like, great, everyone's dead. I'm just great. That's fantastic. Ravis is dead. That's the other and thing. Ravis actually gets a fair shake in the alternate timeline. He gets an this opportunity to join with them to take this down Arden. True. 
Like that's that's like ultimate redemption for him. Yeah. Yeah. Like Luna died by Arden's hand, and he's gonna get a chance to to go back and, and exact, um, not did, not redemption. So redemption was the wrong word, but but vengeance. Yeah, I did like that. He's still um he's still the source of Noctis getting his father's sword. Right, but he gets to actually hand it to him like yes. he always wanted to. Like that was his thing. He's like, I'm gonna hold on to this until I feel like you're worthy, and then he finally does. And you see that in the alternate chapter thirteen where he thinks he's giving it to Noct and then just gets, like, shafted. And it's like, that's not fair. Like, he'd come around, but he doesn't actually get to tell Noct that he's finally accepted him as the king because he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's just... I have a problem with characters that get treated unfairly, like tragic characters like that that get treated unfairly. When there's no... Pro- Base, uh, let me put it this way. My biggest issue with character deaths is when the character deaths are not there as a foil or as an evolution of another character. Like, when Ravis died, Noctis just kind of like, oh, he's dead. Hey, it's my, my dad's sword. All right, let's move on. And that was it. And, that was it. and I'm just like, R- really? Like, that's it for Ravis? Ravis is dead? That's that's it? That's how this goes? Like, my favorite line to, like, crap on with Final Fantasy XV is Gladio's line after you beat, like, the, the Ravis, like, avatar thing. And he's like, he was a man with hopes and dreams. Like, that's such a generic, like, eulogy-type line. Like, what were his hopes and dreams? Like, could you elaborate a little bit more? He was a man. He had hopes and dreams. That describes, like, every other person on the planet. Yeah. I, I just, uh... But yeah, that's that's my biggest issue, is the fact that when I finish the happy alternate ending, and everybody lives except for Luna, um, which, of course, that is understandable. Um, yeah. At the end of that, I'm just like, I don't want to go back to the other ending where Ravis gets basically killed off well because you were you were playing them and you were playing through the game again and you were playing the dlc as you came across them so like you played episode iggy and then you had to go back to like iggy's blind and everybody hates each other and you're going into this dungeon where gladio's just yelling at you the whole time it's like i don't want to play this game anymore it's like i i'm i just saw how they were functioning so well together they had each other backs there was so much love there's so much understanding, and, and the relationships are so strong. And then you go back to the uh, the main ending, and you're just kind of like, oh, yay for shattered relationships and everybody having a fallout. Mm-hmm. I hate that, like, the, the ending of the original um, timeline for episode Icky is very touching, but I hate that it's Iggy knew the whole time like he found out like Prina Prina told him hey Nocta's going to die if things keep going the way they're going and he couldn't do anything about it yeah and I think that that beautiful scene right at the end at the campfire Mm -hmm. where the tear fell from his face and it reflected in his glasses was young Noct yeah well, it was it was like the last knocked that he could that he that he saw. It was like his last image of knocked. Right. 
because he gets the memory of like when they first met but then like reflected in his glasses is like the the knock from 10 years ago because he never gets to see what knock looks like as a grown man right and i think there's there's a very distinct difference in the endings right there is like knocked keep keeps insisting that he has to do this on his own like that's that's he has to go alone he has to deal with this by himself and his you know his friends and other people have been there to support him all this way but now it's like it's his turn to to handle things but he's the king he he should he should take care of his subjects he has to shoulder the burden but in the alternate ending, they're all going in there to fight Arden together. I think that's the key difference. Mm. He's not doing this by himself. Right. And I think that's why they were able to beat him without not having to die. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because Ignis, like in in the in the in the original timeline ending, starts to try to insist, well, you're not by yourself, like we're here with you. I'll go with you. I want to protect you because I don't want you to have to die. But Nog like cuts him off and is like, "Yeah, you're you guys. You guys are here with me right now. But like, you know, it can't be like that forever." And it's just, it's really sad and depressing. Hmm. So, so anyway, that's my theory. So, if, um, anything else? Anybody wants to add about Iggy's story? No. I think we about covered all of it. Yeah. Did, did you did you air out all your uh, your concerns, Ben? Yeah. You you have yep. good points on several things, and honestly, the game is not the best at explaining anything. Right. But to be fair, still, like I still I still hold by eight specifically because it doesn't have all the peripheral stuff that seven did. Had the same problem. A lot of yeah. the conclusions that you come to at the end of eight are assumptions. So, like, and it doesn't explain, like, stuff like where did Altamisia come from, and right. like what's her deal. Like, they never explain that, ever. Which is fine. The game's still good, but it's like stuff like that I would like to have explained, and it just doesn't yeah. get explained. So I'm going to go on a very brief rant. I promise I won't take too much time here. I'm going to go ahead and talk about my biggest issue with Final Fantasy XV. Okay. The ending was heartfelt. I actually did like the ending. Um, I think the game overall was very good. I think uh, a lot of of the gameplay was handled well. Um, I think the whole road trip thing was was interesting and was unique. And I liked the guys. They were a lot of fun. Mm. My issue is specifically with Noct as a main character. I I did not like how they handled Luna, but for a very different reason um, than what's come up so far. I didn't like how they handled Luna because of how Noct basically reacted to anything about her. Uh, how do I... Throughout the game, a lot of stuff happens. And Noct has a really awful habit of internalizing those feelings. Like, Ray Chase, as the voice actor Noct, does a lot of uh, 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 type things. Where he's just like, you can tell he's thinking things really hard, but he never talks about what he's thinking. 
So as a player, I felt a major disconnect from Noct as a main character. I I wasn't understanding where he was coming from, what his beliefs were regarding what was going on. And the only times he really verbalized anything was when he was lashing out. When he was tired of things. And he's just like, I don't know what I'm doing, all right? You know, it's just this thing has brought nothing but pain and and and, and torture to my life when he's talking about the ring. No, that's 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 ad libbing. That's not actually paraphrasing, rather. Um, but beyond that, I don't really know what Noct is thinking. He's just kind of a quippy guy that internalizes all his frustrations and emotions. So when Luna dies and he gets upset, I'm like, please, please, Noct, tell me what's going on. Tell me how you're feeling, what you're doing. But no, you just get this really emotional scene where he just begs her not to go. And it's really heartfelt. And yes, I, I teared up at that scene. It's beautiful. But never in the game does there ever come an opportunity where Noct actually shares anything with the player. And if he shares anything with the guys, the guys never talk about it either. And it really frustrates me. Because I'm used to main characters vocalizing their opinions and stuff a lot. But instead, we just have a main character who loves jokes, loves quipping, and just loves having a good time with his buddies because it's a happy place. He's comfortable there. But as a main character, I, I just I can't get a connection with him. I can't. And that that's my biggest issue with the game. It's just Nock's inability to to explain what he's thinking and how he's feeling. We've had this conversation before. Um, extensively, right after you finished the game last year. Um, I don't have as much of an issue with it, but I think it's because I recognize it for what it is, which is that the game is told in third-person limited. And I'm not I'm not saying that to say that, that your issues with it are baseless at all, because, you know, if that doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Um, but the reason I didn't have an issue with it was because that's, like, as far as, like, you know, books and writing and, and that sort of narrative style, like, that's something that I'm used to. Right, but it's also, it's also a departure from what the Final Fantasy games have traditionally been like. Oh, fair, because Squall is very much the, the same sort of character where he just doesn't, like, he has feelings, he has emotions, and he doesn't ever voice them. But the difference is, as a player, you get to see his thought process because it shows his inner monologue as he's like having these feelings and he's thinking things and just not saying them out loud. Right. Because you again, you had the same uh, the same thing with Titus, um, where he actually had a lot of times where he would cast some light on what was going on because he was telling his story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you look at Nine with Zidane. Well, Zidane would just talk about whatever was on his mind for the most part. He would deflect, but he would eventually tackle problems and say what's on his mind. Same thing with Cloud. Cloud was Cloud was a poor, screwed-up little guy, but he had very loud opinions sometimes. And that's the problem, I think, is is that even if we have gotten this third-person limited perspective before, it's never been with a character that bottles up so much. 
Yeah. Because the one time we did get a, a, a character that did bottle up, it was told in first-person perspective. I honestly, I don't know if this came up, but I, I just thought of this. I think, <laughs> I think we would have actually, for me, been better off having one of the other guys as the main character. Supporting the king with their own thoughts and feelings. Like having Prompto as the main character would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, they would have actually talked about stuff and, and thought of things. And, and then having a, the main character who bottles things up as, a, as like this, not necessarily supporting cast, but as another member of the party would make a lot more sense to me because they've done that before. Look at Oren. Right, like, right. Like, Oren is, is just the, he's, he's textbook bottle up. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm just going to look cool with my sunglasses. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's a, it's a fair issue. So that's my biggest issue with the game. And, and, Again, because the main character didn't didn't feel emotionally invested in a lot of things going on, I didn't feel emotionally invested in a lot of things going on. So I'm hoping the further stories will help fill in the gaps because Noctis isn't going to give me that unless episode Noctis does. I don't anticipate it, but it would be nice to actually have episode Noctis where you actually get to hear all his thoughts and his emotions and everything else. That would be amazing. Well, we're getting what? We're getting episode Arnea. Arnea, uh, Arden, and Noctis. And Noctis. But I, I, don't, I don't know if that's if that's what we're going to get, because I, I think they're going to be using episode Noctis to quote-unquote fix the ending. Yeah, we'll we'll see what they mean by that specifically. They released that piece of art, which makes things really complicated. It pisses me off. That piece of art pisses <laughs> me off. What is he doing there? Why is he touching that child? What but is anyway. I don't think I've seen the, the art. Oh, oh goodness. I'll show you afterwards. Okay. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go find it if you want to keep talking, if you got more to talk about. But I'm just about done talking. What do I have to talk about now? So let's talk about Arden. Okay. Since we're about to talk about Arden, does anybody have any any more feelings and emotions they want to get out? Because I just had to air it. I'm sorry. I I needed I needed Fen to be aware of just how frustrated the game made me in certain aspects. No. Okay. I don't know. I, think, I I I really liked Arden as a character and as as a villain. Arden's. I, he's such an interestingly nuanced character. I really like the fact that his villainy stems from being um, what's the word I want to use here? Basically being shunned in the past. Especially when he tried to do the right thing. Like, he, he got the ability, he went out of his way and got the ability to take um, the scar, Star Scourge or the pain and whatnot into himself to protect, mm. to protect others. And then it was turned on him by his own brother saying that, oh, he's a monster for being able to do this kind of thing. 
and the people shunned him, the same people that he was trying to help. It's 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 a tragic sounding story. I have to wonder how much of it is perspective, because we only ever hear this story from Arden himself. This is true. Um, this is very true. The only problem is, yeah, it's perspective, and then you also have history books. Problem is, that's also perspective. True. Fair point. So, uh, so I hope that episode Arden actually starts from the beginning. Like, what actually happened? Right. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. It'll be nice to see that and then go, oh, Arden, you were right, but you were so wrong, too. But again, from his perspective, it looked like it looked like he had been uh, he had been betrayed by his own family, shunned by the world that he was trying to save, and the gods, and the gods themselves. Yeah, because um, if I'm not mistaken, he got this ability from the gods themselves, and then like they just like turned their backs on him and were like, "Whoops, that didn't work. Let's try that again." Right. And that's when the uh, the oracles came to be. Yeah. So, making his villainy based on vengeance, this idea that one day I will get my revenge on the line of Lucis, but I will wait. I will wait until it's become like the pinnacle of what it could possibly be when all the gods have anointed the chosen king, and then I will wrest him from their hands. From their grasp, and I will, I will destroy him, and I will show them exactly where their decision to shun me has brought them. It's like, almost that is that is so Shakespearean. It was almost like a win-win situation for him too, because I feel like there was a very strong part of him that was like, you know what? If this doesn't work, and he ends up killing me, at least my cursed existence is done. Also true. But yeah, so um, that's the picture that we were talking about. That's actual concept art that was released along with this latest DLC um, announcement. And I can go ahead and post it on Twitter as well, but it's just like... just No, go away. Yeah, that's it's really uncomfortable to look at. Yeah, it is. Why is everybody so happy? Why is yeah. he so happy? Who's the kid? But but the Woofies are still alive, too. Yes. No, I'm just... Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to see where they go with that. Yeah. Yeah, but Arden as a villain... Um, I know one of the questions that came up was, uh, you know, who is your favorite villain in the Final Fantasy series? Um, Arden is, without a doubt, my favorite. He's followed shortly behind by Kefka. But for the same reasons why I think Joker is one of the best villains of all time, is because Kefka is pure chaos. He just doesn't. He's he's a dog chasing a car, and when he catches the car, he doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. He just, he just has, you know, he's just like, oh well, yay. Arden is just so incredibly complex. Probably one of the most complex villains that Final Fantasy has ever had. Yeah. I do enjoy the fact that he builds up the hero so that he can just knock him down. Yeah. Now you don't you don't see that with villains very often. Arden does have a lot of similarities to the thirteen. To what? I'm sorry. The the main villain of thirteen. 
I can't remember. What All I remember is our is Bart. What is the name? Bart Bartolius. Bart. Yeah, yeah. Bart Bartandalus. Bartandalus. Yeah, yeah. No, Bartandalus. The idea of the just that idea of building up the the heroes so that they can. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I do vaguely remember that. Yeah, it's been a while. I only played thirteen once, and it was about uh, about about eight years ago. There's there's actually a lot of little things in fifteen that remind me a lot of thirteen. Just here and there. It's funny, there's a lot of it that reminds me of like seven and eight as well. <laughs> Just like in setting mostly. Mm. Like if but... eight I don't think they're ever going to do a remake of eight, but if they ever did, like I think fifteen was it. Mm. Just the general feel of the 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 gameplay and the setting and everything. Just need an internal monologue. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, Arden reminds me of something between um, Caius from 13.2 and Bartandalus from 13. Caius was voiced by someone that we know, and I can't remember who. Yes, uh, Liam O'Brien. Okay. <laughs> he won an award for that portrayal, too. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yet another reason to play 10.2. Anywho, yes. that's interesting. Yeah, because I I know very little about Cayenne, and I know a little bit about Bartandalus, but I don't remember much about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bartandalus. Well, I don't I don't know if I'll be, if I should get into too much about spoilers for um, fifteen, but just if you're going to just keep it kind of vague. I haven't I mean, played it yet. Yeah, no, I mean, Rama right, yeah. won't really know it as long as you don't give too much context. Yeah. Now, if if we're like, if you go, yeah, well, Bartanalus, you know, he he was born from Genova cells and Hojo and Lucrezia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's no. just, you got to see where he's coming from. <laughs> that might be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, I can't really get too much into why why okay. it makes me think of without getting into spoilers. Um, yeah, that whole kind of conflict of not sure if they're friend or foe at first, and then, yeah. That whole concept is similar. You find a similar issue in a, a game called Lost Odyssey, mm. but that's a completely different thing. <laughs> Props to uh, Darren DePaul, though, for the, like, really refined, upstanding, but so, so slimy performance. Oh, yeah, because the first time you see, like, you know, this this guy's not to be trusted. Right. <laughs> but for some reason, you just do. Yeah. Like, I don't know why we're trusting this person, but we are. <laughs> this is a bad idea, but we're going to do it anyway. It's kind of like one of those, we shouldn't trust him. What choice do we have? Yeah. But yeah, Darren Darren got to just sink his teeth into that role. Yeah. Because he, he went all the way from hoity-toity fun Arden when he's in his car to scary, scary yeah. Arden drops his hat and looks like a scarecrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
that was and you you know the uh, the animators had oh yeah with those cutscenes you can really hear that change that the difference too in like he's got two different versions of his theme and it's like one is this kind of like kind of slimy but really sort of whimsical sort of it's the same it's, melody it's 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 the um um uh Jack Sparrow theme from Pirates just 2 just about yeah basically and then like the other one is this like really dark heavy like organs and Davy Jones yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, it's the same Ar- melody. Ar- Arden, the the uh, the chancellor, and Arden, the demon. Basically. Yeah. You know, I love Arden. Yeah, he's a great villain. Okay, well, I think we're just about dried up on fifteen now. Yes, so. Good game, though. I really, really like. I think. As a whole, I think, just as a singular game, 15 is my favorite. Uh, 15 is 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 in my top five. Sorry, I have other games I like much better. No, that's fine. I know 8's your favorite. 8 is my favorite. And Fen, I believe your favorite is 10? Um, individually 10, um, 13 if you take in the, the other two. Gotcha. Like the, the, the story is like as a whole across the trilogy, I'd take 13, but individually 10. Yeah. Seven, like I said, seven, if you count all of the compilation stuff has a much more uh, moving and complete storyline, but as a standalone game, I think 15 is the superior. Because 7, just just not enough information there. 15 still missing a lot of information, I'm not going to argue that, but it's got a lot more of it in the base game. Yeah. 15 feels very much like um, like Tolkien's works. You know, we there's a lot of stuff he was writing. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that's published is 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 incomplete to everything he had. Yeah, it's a good How way of putting have it. Been working on fifteen in some iteration or another. Oh, quite a few years. It was it was actually it was ten years from announcement of versus thirteen to actual release of fifteen. But the okay. the game that we got was only in development for about three years. Okay. Yeah, there's there are there are trailers that came out and everything for versus thirteen. Yeah. And then once the this. new trailer came out, that had been about a year and a half or a year of uh, of production on mm-hmm. the new version. Once we actually got the first real trailers for for fifteen in the form that it is in now. Okay. I I do think there is still some fingerprints from the uh, versus thirteen and the. Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that like is there that you don't even know why it's there or like there's still some stuff in like like back of the box descriptors and stuff that is like Noct has this ability that has to do with like near death experience or he can like see expiring souls or something like that and that never comes up in the game like it never even gets mentioned in the game but that was uh, an old relic from versus 13 plot line right well 
One thing that uh, Tetsuya Nomura does really well is he does concept really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it was really difficult to, to try to scrub away all of Nomura on everything that was done. Yeah, yeah because Tetsuya Nomura is terrible in execution. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> if you did that, three has taken has taken like seven years to come out or something like that. That's why people are joking that we're not going to see um, the 7 remake, remake until like 2023. Until Tabata takes over as well. <laughs> yeah, Tabata's going to get a hold of that too, I'm sure. But he's worked, he's done 7 before. He he did Crisis Core. That's true. So I don't, think, I don't think we would lose as much if Tabata ended up getting shuffled over to the 7 remake. They've also, there have also been rumors going around. I don't like these, but there have been rumors going around that they might move Yoshida. Right. Which would suck for 14, but oh my gosh, can you imagine what he would be able to accomplish on a 7 remake? Well, one would argue that Nomura's, not Nomura's, uh, Yoshida's team is really, really good. And without him, they'd probably be okay. They would. Yeah, that's what I, that was, I was going to say that. I think that he put together a really good team. He did. Because they basically pulled the best of everyone in the company to save 14, didn't they? Mm-hmm, yeah. Which is why everything yeah, the else they've done has taken so long. Yeah. It's because they had to write that ship. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that, was, that was a matter of saving the franchise. I actually read a very in-depth article that went back and looked at the timeline of everything going on and everything that ended up changing because they had to say 14. Well, that's why 15 got such a bad shake is because they had to pull a lot of their their team, their crew. I'm I'm pretty sure Nomura got moved to something else because they were pulling team from that to work on 14. I want to say they pulled a lot of their like handheld staff onto 15. Mm. Yeah, like everything everything wrong with 15 can be attributed to the fact that they had to say 14, which makes me really sad. Because I love both games. But but I mean, one came at the expense of the other. Yeah. That's okay. It it everything's fine. When Final Fantasy sixteen comes out in twenty twenty five. No, it won't come out until like twenty forty because they have to finish the seven remake. <laughs> and that won't that won't they won't finish that until like twenty thirty. And they've got, like, what, five more years yeah. of content for 15 coming up? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. yeah. The production schedules on these games are, are getting longer and longer and longer. They're I getting mean, bigger. Be, I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of stuff that go into them, but it yeah. is a long time since the days when 7, 8, and 9 all came out within, like, four years of each other. Yeah. That, that was crazy. Yeah. Although console age is getting longer, which is good. Because mm-hmm. that was, I think that was another thing that affected 15 was the PS4 coming out. Probably. Yeah, so it was, or it was, I know it definitely affected the 7 remake. They're like, wait, we're going to wait and redo all this so we don't have to it over. Yeah. But yeah, we've, we'll have to see. Yeah, we've gone really long. We have <laughs> gone really long. This is, a, this is over two hours now, just this second part. So I think we are going to go ahead and split them. Yeah, that's a good idea. So yeah, that's uh that's it for us for this week. And um do we know what what we're doing next week? 
my intention is to see um, Infinity War this week. So okay. if we can want to get with uh, Risa, see if she wants to, if she's got some time. Okay. And Jax, you are available next Sunday, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. What is next Sunday? Next Sunday. The 27th. 27th. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait. We're going to see oh, a movie wait. next Sunday. Uh, didn't we settle on Monday? That's right, we're going Monday, but we are doing but D&D Sundays, on Sunday. D&D, okay. So okay, guess... well, it needs to go another week. I guess yeah, so. We'll, we'll, we'll skip another week, I guess. So we'll figure out what everybody's schedules look like, and uh, it looks like the weekend of the 3rd is going to be our next okay. recording possibility at this point yeah. in time. All right. Well, that'll give you a little more time to get around to seeing the movie, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But our next uh, potential topic will be uh, Marvel, MCU, specifically Infinity War. Also very spoiler-heavy, but by that point, yes. the movie will be have been out for like a month, so. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, well, I have been Rama. I have been Fen. And I have been Welcome. I mean, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been Nerdscape and thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time yep bye